Please be seated. Our present sermon series is looking at the dynamics of the Christian life as we find in Scripture, but through the perspective of a Puritan preacher's classic, John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. And today we're looking at the second part of that journey. And last week we left Christian, who at least at this stage really should be called graceless because he's yet to come to have that burden relieved. But we're calling him Christian just simply to be simple about it. But we left him there struggling in that miry bog, that, that slew of the spawn, sinking ever deeper under the weight of his sin with that heavy burden upon his back. And we pick up today with a man that goes by the name of Help coming, and I, I could just picture in Bunyan's mind as he wrote this, this help kind of standing at the edge of that slough and looking down at this fellow just wallowing all over this mucky, foul, putrid mess and saying, why are you in there? And Christian proceeds to explain to help that, well, this fellow by the name of Evangelist instructed me to go toward that light and soon I would find the wicked gate once I got there and through that wicked gate I would find relief from this burden on my back and so as I'm making this journey I fell into this slough and it is an awful place to be. Well, the man help says, give me your hand and he drew him up out of the pit. We find two blessings right here, even in the introduction to this sermon as we're reflecting upon our God. For an elect sinner who is yet in the kingdom, but in on that journey under conviction, coming to Christ, our God's grace is such that he will not, that, that sinner will not be overtaken by the miry bog. And secondly, he will not struggle there forever. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2 that Josh read earlier. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. And Bunyan depicts help raising poor Christian out of that miry bog and setting him on sound ground that he might continue his journey to the light and there find the wicked gate. And through that wicked gate, there find Christ. But... Christian forsakes that good way and he falls for the worldly advice that we referen that is referenced in Psalm chapter 40 and verse 4. Advice that tempts one to turn from truth to a lie and the greatest lie is that human effort can relieve that burden of sin and make you acceptable to God. Now let us pray. Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to you today as we 
turn once again to your word as we look at this passage in Galatians 3 that speaks so powerfully of Christ as the good and substantial way, the only way. And Father, as we consider our own journey either to Christ or as one in Christ, we are reminded of how quickly we turn to human effort as the answer to either the guilt or the sin or receiving the promises or to be acceptable for you. And Father, I pray today that you would remind us of the folly of that forsaken way, that we might ever embrace the way that is good, the way of grace, the way of the cross, the way of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 14, but we'll spend the, the first part of this sermon, just two points. The first part, we'll be looking there at verses 10 through 12, and then we'll get to the, the remainder of that passage in the second point of our sermon today. So the first part of the sermon is the forsaken way, the forsaken way of human effort. And the Apostle Paul shows us how insufficient human effort is to relieve that burden of sin or to earn our way to heaven. So Galatians 3 verses 10 through 12, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So in these two verses, the, the Apostle Paul shows us two types of people. And the first type of person is the one who lives by faith, and they do not seek to be justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So that's one type of person. The second type of person would be the one who lives by the law and who seeks to be justified before God by the law, verse 11, and who relies on the works of the law, verse 10, and then in verse 12, he's the one who lives by the law. That is, he, he trusts in his own human effort, his own, his own human ability to personally and perfectly obey the law that that burden of sin might be relieved, that he might be given or earn the promise of eternal life. And it's interestingly... That, that the Apostle Paul describes this type of life, this life living by our human effort to earn God's favor as a life of being cursed. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. He quotes that Deut Deuteronomy passage in verse 10 where he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So let me restate 
what the Apostle Paul is saying here about this second type of person that thinks he can earn his way to heaven. In verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And the reason is this, everyone must abide by everything written in the book of the law and do them. And the problem is, no human being is able to abide by everything written in the book of the law and do them. And Paul so clearly shows the, the, the inability of man to earn favor with God. And, I, and we have this supported by something that Jesus tells us. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 19, verses 16 through 24. There we find Jesus' encounter with this rich young man. And the man asks, hey, Jesus, hey, teacher, what does it take to have eternal life? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, do everything written in the law. He said, keep the commandments. And what Jesus was specifically saying here to this rich young man was keep the Ten Commandments, and in particular the second half of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 5 through 10, those dealing with loving one's neighbor. And so the rich man said, hey Jesus, I have kept the commandments. And this is what Jesus said, okay, if you would be perfect, so you, you told me, rich young man, that you have personally kept the commandments. But in Jesus saying or mentioning perfection, he is showing the standard is not only personally, but perfectly keeping the commandments, meaning everything written in the law. And so Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. And get this, for he had great possessions. So the rich man outwardly claims to conform to the law of God. Outwardly doing everything written in the law of God. But the minute Jesus challenged him to get below the surface, to look at his heart, we find that he violated the law of God. He really did not love God with his whole being. He loved his great possessions. He really did not love his neighbor as himself because he would not give up his possessions to love his neighbor. And Jesus just masterfully brings this young man to see that he actually was a covenant breaker. Because it's not only about obeying the letter of the law, it is about obeying the spirit of the law. And in fact, this is Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount, to point this out to the Pharisees and, by the way, uh, to us. And so then Jesus says, it is easier for a huge camel to pass through the little itty-bitty eye of a sewing needle. Have you ever tried to thread a sewing needle? And I'm having trouble with 
nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism, and the whole kit and caboodle, and it is just a mess when I try to sew my button on my shirt. And Jesus said it would be easier for a huge camel to pass through that little eye of a needle. Not so much for a rich man, someone with a lot of money to get into heaven. That's not the point. It's someone who is rich in their human effort. It's someone who says, I can be good enough. I can obey the law enough to merit favor from God. And Jesus said, it's impossible for a human being. So we have to ask the question, then why? When Adam sinned against God... There in Genesis chapter 3, and when he, when he sinned, he violated the conditions of the covenant of works. And through that covenant, life was promised if Adam obeyed. But he disobeyed, and sin and death came into the world, and Adam's and his posterity would be born with a sin nature. We see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul describes this, this sin nature that... Everyone has at birth in Ephesians 2 as being dead in trespasses and sins. And this is why the rich young ruler could not muster up enough human effort to obey the law outwardly and to obey the law from his heart. He did not have a changed heart. He was still dead in his sin. And therefore, he could not personally and perfectly obey all, everything written in the law, the letter as well as the spirit of it. So, so Christian has been drawn up out of the pit. He's been placed on sound ground and he's been sent off by help to continue the journey to the light where he would find the wicked gate. Everything is great except for Mr. Worldly Wise Man is seen off in the distance, and he comes, and he has an encounter with Christian. Mr. Worley, wise man, is from the town Carnal Policy, and he sought to advise a Christian in a way that would get rid of that burden on his back easily and quickly. What a deal, Right? And so Mr. Worldly Wise Man uh, gives this advice, and the first part of his advice is, A, you're in that slough probably because you have listened to evangelist. His counsel is dangerous and troublesome, have nothing to do with it. And then secondly, Mr. Worldly Wise Man says, and I see you've got that book in your hand. That book is for weak men. It will only cause you misery. Get rid of it and don't listen to it. And thirdly, Mr. Worldly Wise Man said, hey man, evangelist has suggested you take this path and it'd be full, it's just full of difficulty and suffering and danger, you don't need to take that path. I've got an easy path. I've got an easy way. I've got a way that you, you can quickly get rid of that burden on your back. Easy fix. And you know, that's all the world can give us when it comes to dealing with our sin. That's all the world can give us is a, is a quick and easy fix that is rooted only in human effort. Nothing else. And the problem is... No man, not even a rich young man who said, I outwardly obey all the law, has the capability 
by his own human effort to rid himself of that burden and at last come to everlasting life. And so Mr. Worldly Wise Man says, hey, Christian, go to the town of morality. So many say, what you need to do is be a good person. And there you'll find Mr. Legality. All you need to do is just conform to the law and you'll be good. And by the way, just Mr. Legality's house will be just beyond, do you see it? Yonder hill, maybe Pinnacle Mountain. Yonder hill. And just, just go by the base of yonder hill and you'll come to Mr. Legality and no problem, burden, burden done. You're, you're, and you'll be on your way. You'll be happy at last. Obviously, the yonder hill represents Mount Sinai and the wall. No sooner had, had, had help, helped Christian out of the slough and set him on sound ground than Christian forsook the way that was good for the forsaken path of human effort. Bunyan writes, Behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high, and also that side of it that was next to the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid to venture further lest the hill should fall upon his head. Wherefore, there he stood still, and wooded not what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in this way. There came also flashes of fire, Exodus 19, 16, and 18, out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burnt. Here, therefore, he did sweat and quake for fear, Hebrews 12, 21. And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wise Man's counsel. Christian felt the crushing weight upon already weighed down shoulders because of the insurmountable demands of the law. Perfect and personal obedience to everything written in it and no man can do it. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And Christian felt cursed and he was. Romans 3.24 By works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And that hill made it weightier upon poor Christian. He was crushed. Well, evangelist comes just at this moment. And Christian falls down at evangelist's feet and cries the same cry that Isaiah cried, woe is me, I 
am undone. You see, Christian believed that now he was disqualified for ever getting back on the way that is good. And it's interesting that evangelist says, well, Christian, let me just tell you, you need to abhor the counsel of worldly wise men. And here are three reasons why. First of all, his counsel turn you from the straight way, like Proverbs chapter 40 and verse 4. You turn to a lie. And then secondly, that way leads to death. But thirdly, and most profoundly, is this, that way abhors the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is odious for the one who was on that forsaken way. And what we need to understand is that when we venture off into trying to make God like us more, basing it on our good works, adding to Jesus, or if we're, if we're coming to Christ and we're trying to earn our way to heaven, then in effect what we are doing is rejecting the cross, abhorring the cross, hating the cross, because the only thing that is going to get rid of that burden on your back and my back, the only thing that is going to make us acceptable before God is the cross of Jesus Christ and His perfect righteousness imputed to us. And every time we venture into morality and legality, we are in effect saying, I despise the cross of Jesus Christ. An evangelist says, puts it to Christian that he might know what a lie worldly counsel really is. But then listen to these beautiful words of grace and hope. Evangelist says, thy sin is very great, for by it thou hast committed two evils. Thou hast forsaken the way that is good to tread in the forbidden paths. Yet will the man at the gate receive thee, for he has good will for men. You see, Christian is rest was restored to that path. And brothers and sisters, every time we venture down this path of human effort, there is hope to be restored from the forsaken way to the way that is good. And speaking of the way that is good, the way that is good is the way of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Returning to Galatians chapter 3, we'll, we'll look at verses 13 and 14. So turn back to Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. <clears throat> Adam's fall in Genesis chapter 3 meant that no one could ever received life by way of the covenant of works, that first covenant that God made with Adam based upon his obedience. And so God, I mean, no sooner had the covenant of works uh, failed than God had established the covenant of grace where life was promised based on Jesus' personal and perfect obedience, but Jesus did something more. Can you, can you believe it? He did more than just simply personally and perfectly obey for us all the demands of God's law. 
But you see, the cross is about Jesus sacrificing himself to pay the penalty for our covenant breaking so that we can be under the covenant of grace and accepted before God in right standing because not only has every legal demand of the law been met in Christ and imputed to us but our sin in being born covenant breakers has been wiped away by his atoning sacrifice and that's what Paul is saying here in verses 13 and 14 that he's redeemed us from the curse he has become the curse that should have been upon us so that we might enjoy the blessings of the promise. We have been brought out in Christ Jesus. We have been brought out of Adam and that, that demand of the covenant of works and brought under Christ who has fulfilled every condition of God's covenant for us. Is that not marvelous? Is that not marvelous? For as in Adam, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, all die, so also in Christ, the only meter between God and man, the, the second Adam, the one who did what Adam failed to do, also in Christ shall all be made alive. What a beautiful, simple verse that so powerfully declares the grace of God in Christ Jesus for covenant breakers like you and me. So before help, I want, to, I want to go back before help lifts Christian out of the miry bog. Uh, he, he actually asked Christian another question. He says, why did you not look for the steps? So for you all that, that have been reading along in Pilgrim's Progress for this week's reading, were you thinking, okay, what in the world are these steps? And I want to suggest that we think about these steps not as a stairway out of the bog but as stepping stones through the bog okay so let, let me just read from Pilgrim's Progress help says this there are by the direction of the lawgiver certain and good substantial steps placed even through the very midst of this slough but at such time as this place doth much spew out its filth as it doth against change of weather, these steps are hardly seen, or if they be, men through the dizziness of their heads step aside, and then they are bemired to purpose, notwithstanding these steps there, but the ground is good when they are once got in at the gate. Now let me explain what I just read to you in case it's confusing. So what Bunyan is, is acknowledging here is that, that these steps were hidden from poor Christian because of all the filth he just couldn't see it but even if he could see the steps he probably wouldn't trust in them he, he would find it difficult to trust that they are good and that they are substantial and so he would probably just step just bestep them and not really use them not able to trust in them and what Bunyan is representing here is, is a glorious reality of the gospel truth that these steps represent the good and substantial and many promises of the gospel in Christ Jesus 
We may even say that, that those steps through, like stepping stones, through that miry bog represents all of the promises in Christ that are offered in the covenant of grace. Many, good, substantial, and the amazing part is the whole time Christian was in that miry bog, struggling so, the steps were right there, right there, present, almost as if he could just reach out and touch one and, and maybe even try to climb up on one. For sinners like Christian, for, for, for sinners who are becoming aware of the burden of sin, who are struggling about the fact that they are under judgment, that they are subject to God's wrath and they don't know what to do about it. They are truly under the conviction of sin and they are in a terrible and an awful place. And they are hopeless. They are despairing, even despondent. What do I do? The promises of Jesus Christ and the gospel are there the whole time. So near is salvation. Almost close enough to reach out in faith. What an encouragement for those under conviction. And what an encouragement for Christians like me, like many of you, who have already passed through the wicked gate, who have been relieved of that burden, who have been united to Christ in saving faith, and yet who continue to struggle with sin, and again and again and again come under conviction. And we can be under such conviction that we despair. We can be in such a state that we actually feel as though the promises of God are so distant from us. We can be in such a place where we struggle with, God, can you possibly forgive me yet again of this sin? I just don't see how. And condemnation can settle upon us like a dense fog where even mature Christians can cry out like the Apostle Paul, who can deliver me from this body of death? As if we never heard this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It can be so hard to even remember that one short verse because of the conviction of sin that we find ourselves. It is really strange to me that the same condition of one coming to Christ is a condition those in Christ experience under conviction. It's just, and the same thing is true. Now we experience it as one who has the promises in Christ. But the good news about this passage is this, the promises of, Jesus, of the gospel for the believer who is under condemnation and really struggling are right there the whole time. For both types, the good and substantial steps are always present all the time, there to be apprehended, to be embraced 
by faith. John 6, 37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. The saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath to come. Romans 8.37. Now in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And these are just a few of the many good and substantial promises that are of such comfort to those on the journey and under conviction. And so the lesson that, that Christian learned was that forsaking the good way was not the way to be relieved of the burden, but only the way that is good by faith, depending fully upon Christ. And if you are coming to Jesus today, or maybe in that process, and you're beginning to think about your sin and your need for a Savior, and, and, and you're thinking in terms of, where, where do I go for this sin to be relieved? Do not listen to worldly advice that will have you follow after a lie. For, it, for the way of human effort to deal with sin is a way of sin, misery, more sin, misery, and death. But Jesus is the way the good way where the substantial promises are. And that's true for those of us who are believers. That as we journey, that, that we would not follow the worldly counsel and says, hey man, you can be more acceptable before God if you add to faith this, 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 and this. But that we would turn from that. See, Christ has fulfilled the law's demands for us. Christ has paid the penalty for covenant breaking for us. And the advice that we should heed in light of this is given in this way. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. If you would take your hymnal and turn to the hymn, Rock of Ages, we will sing this as our closing prayer this morning. Let us stand.